This episode is brought to you by Delwood Disc Golf. Delwood is more than just a full-service pro shop. It's a shop dedicated to elevating Chicagoland disc golf to places it's never been before. Delwood is directly located on the canyons at Delwood Park, currently the number eight course in the world on U-Disc, and home of the Disc Golf Pro Tour Silver Series event, Clash at the Canyons. It's a passionate community. It's a place to grow. It's an experience. Go check out Delwood. You will not regret it. Find them on Instagram at Delwood underscore disc underscore golf or shop online at DelwoodDG.com. You're listening to The Flight Diary, an intimate collection of stories, theories, and thoughts from the world of professional disc golf. I'm your host, Brian Earhart. Joining me on the show is a 15-year tour veteran and the 2018 World Disc Golf Champion, Greg Barsby. Greg has been all over the world numerous times playing and promoting the game, sharing his passion for the flying disc, and showcasing his talents for thousands of people since he was young. Greg's persistent pursuit of following his dreams has helped pave the way for players like myself to make a living in the world of disc golf, so hearing more about his journey of doing so was truly inspiring. We sat down in his newly purchased home in Texas right before the Texas State Championships. He was hosting a number of people that week, so we did our best to tune out the background noise. Enjoy. Something that I've been really enjoying starting any of these segments out with is way before like disc golf was in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for you, <laughs> yeah. different than a lot of people that I've, I've talked to, Yes, uh, that might not be the case. Um, I do want to go back to when you were like elementary school aged. What type of kid uh, was your teacher going to get? With me? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to get somebody that's, yeah, I got boundless energy bonkers off the wall you know <laughs> like a probably like a class clown like i'm always just a, you know yeah. played disc so long i had all these older guys that were like a little more cunning and they were already like ahead of the game so like a lot of the guys i hung out with at you know 12 13 14 were like 20 22 wow. so they like knew about what was going on where a lot of the kids in my grade didn't know what was going yeah. on so your yeah. sense of humor was a little different yeah yeah <laughs> i would say so then i mean that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all that you were like that. The thing I do want to talk about actually a little bit more, I know you've been playing disc, like you said, long time. Yeah. Like almost your whole life, would you Almost say? as long as I can remember. Okay. Does your whole family play or what is what is that situation? No. Um, my parents moved next to a park uh-huh. and that was how I found the game. I was riding my bike and found a cyclone in the, in the water. Really? Yeah. By yourself, you found the game that early. Yes, uh, I think my sister and I were riding our bikes, and I found one. And and then um, my neighbor Clint, who's a police officer now in Grass Valley, he's he's moved his way up the ranks. But he he was um, a couple houses down. He knew about the game, and he had some discs. Like we're talking like a Marauder. Oh yes, right? old discraft stuff. Yeah, like he we had the Eclipses and the Marauder, and then he and I went in and bought our first AVR at Brighton Street Market. You and Clint. Yeah, me and Clint, <clears throat> and um. And I had that cyclone I'd found, 172, and this guy at the at the course, funny enough, my parents would say, don't play on the other side of the creek. Uh-huh. Well, there was only one full hole on the side of the creek that we lived on, which is hole 14 at Condon Park. Yes, Condon, great yeah. course. So 13's tee was from the other side and over to our side, and then 15's tee was on 
our side playing to the other side of the creek. So there was only one full hole. So, of course, Clint and I, you know, Clint's like, it's fine, you know. And, um, yeah, I met some guy, and he had two for one, and he gave me, um, I think it was a 150 flyer, one number one flyer, 150 number one flyer. Is that the lightning, lightning, lightning discs? Yes, and then a Dauntless, which is the number two hook shot once they had kind of phased out the airplane bomber names, right? Whoa. You've heard of the, like, the B-52 Mitchell and... There's like a few really old discs that have a new name now. I have heard them, but you're the only disc golfer I know that has knowledge of lightning. So please, yeah, keep yeah. going. Now they had a bunch of stuff like, you know, I think like the Tomcat and that was kind of like your putter, like mid approach floats in water, right? Like, <laughs> like most of the yeah. lightning discs do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I threw all sort of discs back in the day. Wow. I used to throw a dolphin. What is that? A Innova? Yeah, Innova. It was a it was a floats on water disc, and the way that the rim was, it was I'm pretty sure it was a beveled edge, but like the rim was so crazy, you've never seen anything like it. It was so weird, right? Like the rim is here, and then there's like a V out to the edge, so it was like an <laughs> like air a dolphin's pocket, mouth, like an air pocket. So if it landed on the water, the air pocket on the edge would keep it up. <laughs> I swear that is the future. It was that is yeah. the future. <laughs> That's what they were thinking. That's I don't so know if funny. it worked out, for them. but like. So then that's incredible that you can even get into like that type of stuff that early on in your life. Most kids never would have found the game that earliest. And I, I thought maybe your family played and that's why you got into it. But yeah. literal chance. Yeah, total happenstance, right? They moved next to the park now where the home I grew up in, in Grass Valley, is is literally catty corner to the, the park. And then it's a single fence line. And then the school property's on the other side. So every everything from like fourth to eighth grade. Uh-huh. I went to Scott in school. I'm an Eagle. Oh yeah. Scott and Eagles. Right on. And then I, and then I moved on to being Lyman Gilmore bomber. So I'm also a bomber. <laughs> <laughs> Eagle bomber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So throughout that time, right. It was just kind of a triangle, mm-hmm. you know, go to school, come home, play disc golf, eat food, maybe play a little more disc golf, come home, Whoa. go to school in the morning. So were you kind of a loner in school? Did you just play disc golf or did you have like a big social life outside of playing disc golf? Because like finding it early on, it's kind of hard, especially back when you were going to school, like, yeah, you know, in the 90s, disc golf wasn't that popular. So no, like, how did you relate to other kids? I played sports, right? I played all-stars baseball for three years. The fourth year I, I quit the all-star team because they said they were going to bench me again. <laughs> when the guy in my, the guy that was batting in my position uh, he struck out the year before against the team, the regional team. So I was like really heated, right? Because I'm on base machine. Like I'm a doubles <laughs> machine, like hand eye. Like I was, you know, pretty short. So I had a small strike zone. I'm not kidding you. My on base percentage was like over 800. And they didn't put me on the starting squad. So they wanted me to run laps in the summer again. And I'm like, not this time. I'll see you at the disc golf course. I wonder if your coach is going to be listening to this episode. Like, Damn, I should have started him. <laughs> I doubt it. Maybe they didn't see it in me, but hey, you know, disc golf was kind of the way. But I, I'd done that. I did soccer. Or, or football yeah. for your European listeners. Mm-hmm. And um, I brought my basket to school because I live so close. I mean, I literally wheeled it up a few <laughs> times, right? And I've introduced, you know, a lot of young kids, dozens of young kids mm-hmm. who play in my hometown now. That Like, that was the first time they ever saw it. Really? Yeah. And you wheeled your basket up to school? Yep. My parents bought me a Mach 2 when I was like 14 or so something. So you were already just like, entrepreneurial young kid like i want everyone to see this yeah well i was like i need to practice no way yeah yeah so okay what motivated you to practice back then because that's actually an interesting thing for me because the disc golf landscape back then was so different than it is now especially like 
people to look up to as a kid. Right. Was that what motivated you? Did you know what professional disc golf was? Like I did. So what was that landscape looking like? Well, you had the Lisman brothers who are like Hall of Famers. Jeff and Johnny. Jeff right? and Johnny. They were the two that moved from Southern California and moved to Grass Valley and helped, I think, Michael. I th I'm pretty sure they had a hand in it, but ultimately, I believe, Michael Travers installed Condon Park in 1992. And um, there's other really good players, too, but mm -hmm. those three in particular and Mike, Mike Loya were all kind of the legendary golfers. Mm -hmm. They were still playing open at that time. Okay. But you had, like, up-and-coming players, right, like Ray Johnson and Jason yes. Jason Herm and uh, Seth Reeder and... A lot of those guys are still playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ray Ray just won uh, Masters at St. Paddy's by like 10. Oh, my God. And he's a two-time St. Paddy's champion open, too, so no surprise there. So <clears throat> what is that like? Did you did you quickly get uh, immersed in the community in Grass Valley Disc Golf? Like, yeah. what was that like for you being a kid? I guess you lived on the course. Like, pretty close. Yeah, I bet the local players figured that out pretty quickly. Yeah, I was always out there, right? And I played with anybody. You know, that was I think that was part of like... I was able to kind of meld with people because I played with so many players, whether yeah. they were like the really good guy mm -hmm. or then the local player. I mean, disc golf, like you said, it wasn't nearly as like uh, established, well known, yeah. right? So you'd have like certain players come in and out. And I've noticed that through the years, right? Mm -hmm. Because maybe a guy finds disc golf when maybe he got laid off from his job and, you know, he needs something to do to fill his time and whatever and something that was enjoyable and maybe a little social so he could keep his head. And, yeah. But then, you know, he would migrate out of it in five, seven years or whatever. So I, I'd kind of like gone through that through time. Yeah. Just like seeing people come and go and then like they'll come back, right? Like 10, 15 years later, like people, like my buddy Mark Morton just like showed up back on the scene. He's like, I'm playing golf. I'm like, I used to play advanced with this dude in wow. like 2001. You know, and he's like, you, you did it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you did it and I did yeah. not do it's it. Like, hey, like, Family happens and kids, and, yeah. you know, so. But that's uh, a wild thing because, like, back then, like, disc golf was very much counterculture. It's, yeah. like, slowly, like, breaking into the mainstream. Like, we were just on ESPN. So crazy. Did, well, I'm assuming just, I mean, Condon Park is a great place to learn the game. Yes. You know, fantastic place to learn the game. Yes. You have players that are, was the rating system a thing back then? Like, no. No, okay, you, but you had scratch players I, that you knew were scratch players pretty much that were sick. Yeah, like I think when the ratings came out, Jeff was like 1020, and that would be like a 1045 yeah. today. Now, mind you, we're playing much shorter courses back mm -hmm. in the day, and, you know, the discs aren't nearly as fast, mm -hmm. so <clears throat> you've seen a migration in the ratings, but I digress. There were good golfers in my hometown. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have good golfers in your hometown... You what did you have to you watch? You didn't get good. Exactly. Like there were towns that people that were good and a bunch of players would come in from that town yeah. and you would go someplace else and, you know, you'd just demolish those guys because they just, they don't have anybody to play against. They don't have any, they don't have that, like that benchmark player or a couple benchmark players that will really push the level of everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the big motivation for me to get better because there were those guys in the town. And you saw them. Yeah. And Jeff, I mean, Jeff had got second to Climo. I mean, I met Ken Climo and I was like, nine years old wow. walking in the park. I met Ron Russell when I was like a real little kid. You know, I was probably maybe like 12 when I met Ron. Uh -huh. I, I'm very fascinated that I'm actually happy that you answered the question I was going to ask you, which was how did you get good? There's no, there was no YouTube tutorials. There right. was no like, uh, even form was really like yeah. still not established. Like Subjective, you know, yeah. and it still is, but you've got guys now that, that have like kind of wired it in and now you've got other players that have picked up on what they're doing and they're doing that now. Mm -hmm. And it's like anything, it's like music or, 
you know, any sort of creative process, you like, if you like something or you see that it works, right, you might try to implement it. So that's kind of how I built my game. And interesting. I feel like my game's kind of unique now yeah. because I learned that way. Yes. You, yeah. You learned from like the old school players right. on a super old school course, like right. super technical tight lines, like got to control everything, yes. right? Like angles are really important. Like I, I always try to just be a student of the game, like learn from whoever mm -hmm. if they're doing something right yeah like jim coffin throws a crazy roller and it looks like he's gonna fall over <laughs> but it works yeah and he can get it on the ground so fast so i've like learned that shot mm -hmm. because i'm like you know what there's one day i might need that shot yeah and like who else is gonna get one on the ground in 50 feet <laughs> <laughs> probably not too many of the guys yeah. on tour wow. but i could throw that little squib shot and get a stingray on the ground and roll it you know 230 <laughs> feet before it hooks so who was the player that you looked up to did you look up to someone the most when you were when you were coming up as a junior player i mean jeff and johnny's putting was always the okay. prominent that was the number one and i think that had been instilled in me from early on uh -huh. was like you've got to putt. Mm -hmm. Like if you can't putt, you're just, you can't keep up. There's just no way. So those guys on the putting green, uh, I've always was really fond of Mike Loya's backhand smoothness. You know, he's a real natural mm -hmm. player. Um, actually a guy probably no one's heard of, uh, Ken Halverson. Ken Halverson's got one of the sweetest, sweetest swings you've ever seen. You know, just ultra buttery rock thrower, you know, just any line, doesn't matter. So those guys, and then probably like Ray Johnson was definitely a big influence. You know, he he threw a lot of long backhands. Our other course down the street, Penn Valley. Yes. Once I tough. Yeah. Once I had got down there, and I knew enough guys, I'd get a ride down uh -huh. when I was like thirteen or fourteen, and uh, I'd go play with them. And that course was a lot lower lines. Got to throw it longer. Lots of rollers. It looked like a lot of rollers. I played there before. Yeah. Yeah. That was where I. I honed in my roller, I think. Grass Valley, you can throw some shorter range ones, maybe get away with the fastest. Mm -hmm. But Penn Valley, you can you can get after it with the rollers. So that's kind of where I think I learned the roller. Interesting. And, um, and Jason Herm was another guy, you know, he's just, just a manimal. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen him play. He's just a manimal. You're just like, this guy's a monster. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. So, like... I remember looking at your stats, and you started playing just some juniors tournaments, like yep. junior division tournaments. Um <laughs> Were you naturally competitive when you started playing disc golf, or was it just something to do as a kid? Like, no, were, I was were you frisbee golfing, or were you just straight up no. like, golfing? So I'm. I consider myself a third generation disc golfer, which like your first generation guys are like you know Pasadena in the '70s and mm -hmm. the early courses, little pop up spots, Brahan Springs in Alabama, you know, um, Laffineer Park in New Orleans, like you know, a couple of courses in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. like early, early. Um, but then you had the guys that were like in the 80s and early 90s prior, you know, right around when the beveled edge mm -hmm. had become. But the technology was still like, you know, they're still throwing bricks. Yeah, exactly. You know, the fastest had just started to show up like, you know, prime example, right? I found a cyclone. Yeah, exactly. Which was like the bomb back in the day. Mm -hmm. So that was like your SDS destroyer these days or, or you know, your nuke or whatever mm -hmm. disc that you throw, your long disc, whatever brand that your listeners listen to. You yeah. Know, that was like the bee's knees. So that's why the guy- seven speed. Yeah. That's why the guy traded me two for one. He knew what he was looking <laughs> at, you know? So, yeah. Uh -oh. So then you call yourself a third generation player. What yes. What does that exactly mean? Right. So yeah, all the guys before me, they were first and second gen players. Mm -hmm. Like I'm true and through disc golfer, right? I didn't play with the Frisbees mm -hmm. or anything like that. Obviously I've thrown Frisbee around a yeah. few times but a few times a couple times but yeah. uh yeah i was like a full disc golfer right mm -hmm. that was the sport that i got into
So, so instantly competitive. Yeah, pretty much. So were you keeping score like right away? Is that something that you cared about or was it initially like just learning to shape the yeah. disc and do all that kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, the creative part, right? Okay. Like the, the number one flyer went straight, the Dauntless went to the right. Uh-huh. I, you know, when I started, I was predominantly flick for I think the first four years. Was that uncommon at the time to yeah. be? I was going to say, I, I, I actually was going to ask yeah. you about the forehand because coming up, you know, you start playing these juniors tournaments. You say you're predominantly sidearm. In a world where I remember even watching old uh, YouTube videos of players saying that you shouldn't even learn a forehand. Like they were talking like the backhand was this top tier and that's all you needed to be good. What was that like for you learning sidearm only with those discs? Right. Well, sidearm just came naturally to me, like skipping a rock on on water. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the backhand has been the one that I've had to kind of curate and Mm -hmm. make uh, adequate. The sidearm is just like, I don't barely even need to practice sidearm anymore. Yeah. I don't even like, I don't want to. Thousands and thousands of reps. You don't so need many to. reps. I don't need to. I know what the disc does. Yeah. You know, and if I don't, give me about two licks with it and I'll know exactly what yeah. it's going to do. Did you get made fun of by like the local players for being like the flick kid or did anyone like um, try yeah, to deter you from throwing the flick? Maybe here and there, you know, because it was just, that was the culture, right? Throw yeah. backhands and yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. And I started developing my backhand at 10, uh-huh. but it's never... I don't think, I wouldn't say it hasn't been as clean, but in the lifespan mm-hmm. of both the shots, I mean, the forehand's probably going to be my my go-to. Yeah. Right. If I had to get like pinpoint accurate from, you know, 330 yeah. like right now, I guess it's shooter's choice, which mm-hmm. is a good option to have. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, sidearm is what you still lean on. And yeah. That's if I what need you were to. doing back in the day. Even. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just very fascinated by that because it was a time when when backhand players were winning world titles, you know, oh, for it, sure. you know, and, and they weren't even thinking about throwing a sidearm. And Climo yeah. was so dominant back then that like, all right, this guy throws a rock like as far as he needs to throw a rock. He throws a T-bird as far as he needs to throw a T-bird. Putts as far as he needs to putt. Well, screw you. Chip, right. chip, sidearm, sidearm, sidearm. Yeah. Like, kind of growing up playing this unorthodox style. How long did you play like juniors tournaments before you started like wanting to get more seriously? Do you remember? Um, my first tournament was the Sierra Shootout in 1997. Okay. And I played novice because I don't think there were any other juniors. Uh-huh. But then um, I played a few events in 1998. That's where I met Miles Harding. Okay. Yes. He was like your rival back then, right. I noticed. Right. And now Doss is two years older than both of us, maybe three years older than Miles. Mm-hmm. So I never really saw Doss until I played open. Uh-huh. You know, because we were at that same growth uh, chart, if you will, like yeah. a, a ladder. Improving at similar at, pace. Yeah, until it was an open. So, but Miles, he was really the guy that, I guess, pushed me at that point, right? Because I had someone close to my age who was mm-hmm. also really good. So then that was the big motivator was I wouldn't see him for three months. So I'd practice all the time and make sure the next time I, you know, I was ready. Did you guys like get along or yeah, were we you guys kind of like rivals? Okay. Got along right away. He offered me a hot pocket out of their RV. My man. Yeah. What what flavor uh, do you remember? Pepperoni. Attaboy. He was the guy. Once I met Miles, um, that's actually a funny sub story. Our parents would... Um, my dad and his dad would we'd meet in Stockton. Actually, funny enough, OTB yeah. is having a big tournament this year in Stockton on the Pro Tour. Sweet, which is so great because yeah. it's like kind of like that. We would always go to the Stockton course, play around, and then I would either go to Miles' place down in Santa Cruz, or he would come up to Grass Valley. But when I went down there to Santa Cruz the first time, they took me over to um, the Hedricks place. Sweet, over in Watsonville, and that was when Ed was still alive, and um, so I met the whole family at disc golf, and that's kind of when I think a lot of things clicked, where this was like a special thing for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could do this more. 
I had met people and I knew pros and there and I knew the the guy that invented the game and you know I didn't know how cool that would be now but you know still that's wild just, just what was you know yeah. so um, that's how I was introduced to to the Hedrick family and then really was like okay you know I like this this is a this is a great game I want to keep playing it so 2002 he flew out to watch Miles and I play the Junior Worlds where I, where I met Matty O and Double G. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunately where he had his stroke. And then we went and like visited him in the hospital and like he bestowed words and stuff. Whoa. It was like crazy deep. Like I don't even know what he said, you know, now, but maybe it was like six years ago. I, I saw his widow. She told me I was her favorite disc golfer. That's incredible. Yeah. It was insane. I was like nearly teared up. Wow. Uh, so yeah, this was 99. 99 was really the year where I bust on the scene, I think. Okay. 98. So I played three tournaments in juniors. I won them all. But so you see here, there's an open tournament. My dad actually signed us up for the wrong one. Is that what it was? Yes. <laughs> so, so you're like, well, crap, I have to play open. Now. Yeah, my, well, my dad's like, oh, I guess we're just going to go and play. So open results, 40 players winning it. Steve Rico, Harold Hampton, <laughs> Jeff Lisman, Mike Loya, Roger Kanzler, Bruce Nisley, RJ Jerez, Conrad Damon, Mike Belchick. What a crew. Uh, yeah. Rico's been good for so long. Yeah. Oh, he's definitely one of my idols as I, a, wow. after this time, because this is where I first met all these pros, right? The, and, you know, Loya, I knew from town. Jeff, I knew from town. Mm-hmm. You know, Ken Halverson. still. These guys. Ron, you know, Ron Brown, Skullmaster, Peter Sontag, mm-hmm. like all these dudes, legendary. That's where I met all these guys. And my dad, like, accidentally signed us up. My dad and I went, la- uh, yeah, I got him by a few. I got my dad. You beat your few. dad? Yeah. But um, Dave Dunapace was there as well. They they didn't make it the last day. I'm guessing that they found the casino. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Roger Curley and yeah, Tim Selensky was at that event. And, wow. Yeah, yeah. Sonny Ashby. You came from such a wild area for disc golf history. Oh, for sure. Oh my yeah, god. Super rich in history. Yeah. The disc golf community up there is super strong, like crazy. So like yeah, you play open. You like have three big tournaments for juniors. You yep. beat your dad in open. I beat my dad. Yeah, he was the only one I beat. So then we'll go into 2000. 2000 was the year of my dominance. This is when I really put it down on Miles. Now I got ninth at Worlds. <laughs> this is where I put it down on Miles. We got we got stroked at that Worlds. I was heartbroken or I would have made the finals. But then he got me at the shootout mm-hmm. or at the safari. But then I got, I think, uh, what, six other wins besides wow. that second. So he was your motivation for just continuing to play juniors because you just yeah. enjoyed playing against him. What was his game like? Was he a flick flick player as well? Mm, he had a good flick at that point. He threw it differently than I did. Uh-huh. But his backhand, like imagine Will Schustrick way before Long, Will Long, linear, yeah, like, rubber band-like. Yeah. And I think Miles was Ed's like favorite uh-huh. favorite son, right? He wanted to see him do really well. And, you know, Miles is Miles has a great life and he's doing his thing. He doesn't play too much golf anymore. Mm-hmm. But this this was the one where, where I took him down. It's the first time I ever shot under par at a tournament was at um Wow. Was at UFOS KOA jam. I shot three under for the week. I was super hyped. And you were just like some kid just going out there, just shooting yeah. it up. I like- had him smoked. I had a rating of eight seventy one. He was eight forty five. He never <laughs> even set a chance. <laughs> you hit him by 30 rating points. Game Got over. Game over, buddy. Um. Double Helix Disc Sports is a growing disc golf retail brand launched in 2019 by brothers Mark and Matt. They share a passion for excellence in customer service, and they've curated a fantastic selection of equipment from top manufacturers and well-designed apparel. 
you'll also find a large selection of disc golf accessories, including their very own grip-enhancing chalk bag, the Ringtail. Find all of this and more at DoubleHelixDiscSports.com. And P.S., for those of you who did not get a chance to pick up your Tour Series ESP Swirl Zones with the Double Helix stamp on it, there will be two more drops of these discs coming out soon. Make sure to tune into their social media pages for more updates. These came out beautiful, so don't miss out this time. So <laughs> I just, I think it's so interesting that it just took one kid. It took one kid for you to like be so inspired to get out there and like oh, compete yeah. back and forth, back and forth. And you did play open accidentally. Yes. In one tournament. Yes. Um, <laughs> what, what did that do for you? Well, it just introduced me to all the guys. Cause like, you know, back then it wasn't maybe like it is now, you know, there's a little bit more of a, like a high school kind of like which crew, which crowd are you running mm -hmm. with or whatever. Back then it was just all kind of one, you know, we were all there for that reason. So everybody was hanging out after the rounds, mm -hmm. you know, win, lose or draw. Everybody's, you know, just enjoying each other because it was much smaller at that point. So we were kind of like exactly our own little unit, our own little utopia. Yeah, it was all counterculture. Yeah. Everybody was just kind of like in it together. Yeah. And uh, so the I'm, money wasn't there. The sponsorships all weren't like, no, you know, dividing people. None of that. Yeah. Steve Regal probably won like 300 bucks. I didn't even look. <laughs> <laughs> 300 bucks for like a huge field. It was a huge field. He killed it. But yeah, so that's like, that inspired me because I now I met some of those guys and mm -hmm. they knew who I was and then they would you know, take the story down. I remember when I first met like Eric Tracy and Mike Young, um, Worm, when they were out on the road and, and he went, they went back cause, cause we met Eric Tracy and Mike Young at that Tahoe stretch. I think mm -hmm. it was a year after. Uh -huh. And then he took the story back to like Matty O and Mobile and Double G down in Florida. Like, oh, you better watch out for those Cali kids. You know what I mean? They knew. That's like the only way there was no social media to no. like talk trash over. You just no, had no. to like <laughs> you heard send a messenger across the country to like right you're sending a, a little note into there's a, bird. a kid from grass valley right, he's yeah. good he's real good actually funny enough dave greenwell still thinks i'm from santa cruz <laughs> i swear i swear he still thinks i'm from santa cruz every time he's like santa cruz kid i'm like nope. no <laughs> <laughs> no nah, man no nope. grass valley man That's so funny. you know born and raised yeah you know man i i uh, <laughs> i i think it's just it's crazy that you're you're grinding tournaments back then. Like it's 2021 right now. Mm. And the thing that I thought was really cool, I noticed in 03, I'm going to jump forward a little bit. Yeah. You won your first open tournament in 03. I don't quite remember. Yes, I did. But do you remember this? Yeah, I got second in my first cash. I almost won my home course tournament. I still never won it. At Condon? I've still never won it. I've gotten like 5 seconds. You're cursed, that's why. Yeah. Well, now I think I'm actually going to win it because I don't live there anymore. That's true. You know, I don't live right across the street. Like the pressure's off so I can just go out it's there. It's no and longer your home course. Play free, you know, and that was always the thing. I'd play free and practice and then I'd go out mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, chump it in the tournament. I'm really trying to avoid that this weekend. Yeah, at Texas know? States. Well, because I go out to the local course and I just like mess around with all my discs and just like, what does this fly like mm -hmm. and how can I play? This week I'm, I'm like onto the tightrope, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is how you're going to play these holes. This is what you're going to do to play a tournament on this It's course. hard to do that, to switch back and forth from casual to like, okay, now I have to scramble. This is the one, yeah. like, time that I'm going to have to play this course for scores. Yeah, exactly. You know, instead of, like, going out and messing around one-round deals. Like, this is a three-round event. I wish it were four. 
mm-hmm. just because I think it would even provide more drama because there's there's a few holes you can get shellacked out there. <laughs> just kind of like my home course <laughs> I too. Agree. You know? so yeah, just like condens. Very similar. Honestly, if you're three foot off, you might miss the tree and go through the the kind of slide through the gap. Yeah. But if man, if you hit the edge of the trees, you're just it's, it's if you're a little bit off, you're screwed. It's trouble. Yeah. So I mean, you <clears throat> but you do win your first event in 03. Yeah. And that's so long ago, man. That's like so you like look timeless. Like it looks 18 like, years ago, yeah, I won my first pro tournament. Wow. <laughs> so then okay, like you win that and you're probably stoked, obviously. Mm-hmm. How old were you in 03? Do you remember? Uh 16. Were you th- already thinking like, oh, I could be Steve Rico. Oh, I could be uh, one I, was, of these I was thinking guys. I, was, I could beat him. Were you thinking you know? at all like in school? Were you thinking of anything other than disc golf when you were 16? Not years old? much. Yeah. Not much. Yeah. Baseball was out of the picture at that point. Yeah. Right. I was in high school. I think I was a sophomore uh-huh. when I turned pro. So yeah. I, it was pretty much disc golf. I think everybody in high school knew me as disc golf. Like, okay. Like you were alluding to earlier. Like, I've, I'm kind of the same dude. Like, I was never, like, you know, <laughs> popular in the yeah. sense of what being popular is, mm-hmm. but in the true essence of what it means, I was very popular. I knew all the, I knew a ton of jocks cause I played sports, mm-hmm. but I like, you know, I, I, I knew the, like the freaks, right. They were all metal heads and uh-huh. I was starting to get into metal at that point. And so I, I, you know, I used to play band. I actually marched in Disneyland twice. Did you really? Playing the trumpet. That's awesome. Yeah. So Not I, like, even the drums. No. That's no, sweet. I didn't even pick up drums till after high school. So I knew all these different kind of people and I would like go through like the quad and then like the upper quad and I knew a ton of different heads. So uh-huh. that's awesome though. It's kind of like how it is in disc golf now, mm-hmm. like all the different people are running. I can like cruise in and say what's up to that crew mm-hmm. and you know, it's all, it's all love. And, but then, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just like doing my So then like, love. yeah, you set the standard in high school. Like, okay, that's the Frisbee kid. Like that's the yeah. disc golf kid. People knew. But like- was your family like super supportive of you, like going all into disc golf? Like, did were they ever just like, you must go to college, son, and you must be a doctor? And did you ever have that experience with your family at all? No, not with my parents. Mm, my parents are pretty awesome. cool. You know, they they let me crank death metal at you know, <laughs> age 15, 16. Yeah. So, um, a few of the, the family friends were mm-hmm. a bit concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, like my dad's best friend, you know, God rest his soul, Dwayne, great guy, but he would always ask me when I'm getting a job. Yeah. And then he passed away, unfortunately, like I think a year and a half before I won the Worlds. Oh. You know, I would have loved for him to see that, you know, because, yeah. yeah, I'm like, hey, I got a job. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, number one right yeah. now, you know. Wow. But my parents were always cool with it. I mean, my dad there for a few years, right, this before kind of a, you know, I guess more money on the road. Yeah. And there was less of a hustle that was available yeah. for people. So I'd come home and then I'd work with him for three or four months. Okay. Digging ditches and, you know, he owns his own irrigation landscape repair company. Okay. So I'd come home and dig his ditches and, you know, work my ass off with him. And it really made me appreciate, you know, hard day's work and, yeah. and where money comes from and how that works. So then, you know, I think that inspired me too. Like I see. even more to where I'm like, you know, if I can make this disc golf thing happen, I don't have to go and grind my ass because so many people like even, you know, generations before us, mm-hmm. right. They've had to work their entire life yeah. just to see their family continue to prosper. Yeah. And, you know, keep a roof over their head. And so, yeah, try to keep it in perspective. Like, you know, you just got to work hard. And yeah. But at that point, I was probably, yes, when I turned like 17 and I'd won a couple of tournaments, I started to turn my focus into, okay, let's finish, let's get out of high school. Let's go I, on. Like, I got this. Let's go on tour. You know, I'm going to go and do this. So then you graduate. Yep. You got your diploma. Yep. <laughs> you just <did> barely. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. Thanks, Mr. Horowitz. I appreciate you. <laughs> You hit the road at 17, 18? Uh, my first tour was in 2006. Actually, well, 
let's drag it back till okay. to 2004. Okay. I was, um, my first Worlds was 2000 in Michigan. I played juniors. And then I played the 2002 Worlds, which I had talked about in Miami, where I met Matty O and yeah. Double G. Miles and I went one, two. Smoked Matty O and Double G. <laughs> but Double G was like 13 years old, you know? He's like just like kid. this tall. Actually, Double G, he, he came up to me. You know Double G. He's like got a little bit of that spark. He's got mm-hmm. spunk. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I outthrew you in the distance. I'm like, no, you didn't, you little kid. Get out of here. And that that's when he's I He's just like, like looking up at you. <laughs> I had like, I had the mouth at that point. That yeah. was when the cussing was like a real big thing. You know, that was when cussing was big. Oh uh, yeah, cussing was yeah. real big. Might spit here and there, but um, I probably said some, you know, expletives. Yeah, you know, <laughs> get out of here. You're you shrimpy like, little. Yeah, kid. yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't outthrow me. I threw four oh seven, and he threw like three sixty. So I have beat Double G in a distance contest, dude. That's rare. That's yeah. like a rare feat, right? Well, I've never beat him since. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. But go on. Yeah. yeah so continue. I played Worlds in two thousand four, Pro Am Worlds. And then 2005, I went to Worlds mm-hmm. with Kathy Manley. And that's where I met Ken Climo. I, I, I mean, I had known him, but that's where we went and played poker in his hotel mm-hmm. room. And so I went with Kathy. She couldn't ride me to the courses because we were on like Caddy Corner courses. Uh-huh. So I asked Ken Climo if I could ride with him. And he like dogged me out, dude. He dogged me. <laughs> he ghosted you or no, what? No, no, he just dogged me. He, he, he took me to the courses, you know, and he said, you need to stay in the A pool. Talk, talk to like, me about Ken Climo. I'm talk like, man, I'm like, man, this guy doesn't see anything in me, man. It's messed up. Of course, I stayed in the A pool. Yeah. You know, I think that's how I know Climo so well because uh-huh. we, there's like two courses, maybe 20 minutes from the hotel, mm-hmm. and then like one course, 50 minutes, and another one, 45. And they had us going from one way out to the other and then back. And then like, so I spent like two hours in the car with him every day. What is he actually like? Can you try to sum up his essence? I've I've heard so many stories from so many people, yeah. but I feel like you know him. Yeah. Climo's gritty. Explain. You would put him into the World Series with two outs, bottom of the ninth, two runners on. He's the guy. Yeah. He's taking the last shot. He's going to shut it down. Why is that? Like, what What have you, have you gathered anything from him? Like, why does he have that Michael Jordan-esque competitiveness? Yeah, I mean, he, some people are just built different. Yeah. Yeah. He's it, insane. Uh, Climo, I've seen him throw some of the most miraculous shots. The roller he threw in 2016 at Beaver State. Him and Pat Brown were, like, coming down the stretch. Climo threw a roller that went, like, over the road, jumped the curb, rode up the hill, didn't flip, slowed down, Crested the hill, went back to the left, and back onto the island green on there on the west course. That hole? That hole. He jumped the... Cr- I was like a third grade girl at the Beatles concert. <laughs> it was unbelievable, dude. I'm freaking out, man. I just... I couldn't... I couldn't believe it. I was just like, oh my gosh. And you and you, you could tell he was doing it deliberately. Oh, no. That was an accident wholeheartedly, but, but it's, it's Climo's will. Yeah, it's the fact that he, he did it. His willpower. He tried it. It's just... I've never gotten to the, watch him. The peak, dude. Yeah. Really? The, yeah. I mean, I've played with all those guys. We haven't seen it since? Um, I mean, you know, Macbeth has a definite ice in his veins, but Climo was on a different level of shutting people yeah. down. Not necessarily just beating them into submission. Climo uh-huh. would, like, string them on and then, like, rip their heart out. He was you vicious. Know what I mean, yeah. Just, like, at the very end, make the sickest shot. Like, you thought you had a chance the whole time and, and sucked it out from you. <laughs> you know? Dude's wow. brutal. I yeah. mean, he must be, especially in a time when it took him seven world titles or something to get like to one, get a signature disc. Yeah, yeah, one royalty deal. Right. 
what is it about those guys? Like, how did they even do that? Like, how did they make it? I don't know. Yeah, well, just pure spirit, love of the game, you know? This game's built on on love and the foundation of, you know, your your fellow brother, right? Mm-hmm. We're like the younger cousin of golf, right? Yeah. So there's like that culture and that brotherhood that mm-hmm. comes with it. It's not like a, you know, we're not at that point where it's grandfathered in now. You know, golf is almost grandfathered yeah. in where like, you know, certain people- It's a part it. of American culture. Right, where, yeah, it was just like, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, people going out and just just grinding it out against each other, trying to take each other's lunch money in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there wasn't added cash. Climo had a feast. Everybody else had sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so then what, what did that do for you? Like meeting him and being with him, did that inspire you at all? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just seeing his mentality, right? Like a lot of people come up to me and want me to impersonate him where it's like, you know, the impersonation's me, right? They yeah. think I'm like this other guy. I'm like, don't ever think that I'm Ken Climo. You tell He's him rubbed that. off on you. Don't tell him that. He'll he'll put you in your place, you know? <laughs> and when somebody asked me, you know, about him, I almost want to answer just like he would, mm-hmm. right? Which is very curt. Yeah, just blunt. Blunt. Like, I'm not here to deal with you. I'm here Whoa. to deal with the course. Yeah. And you're not going to deal with it as good as I am. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, dude's a, dude's a savage, yeah. you know? It's just like some people, like you said, some people are born He's born built, like that. And if you want to be like him, you have to change your entire personality. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I'll never be, um, like... He inspires me in the way that, that, you know, he had this, this grittiness that he would, he could Mm -hmm. dig deeper. He could dig deeper in like the, you know, just the want, the, the will, the determination to make shots and, and, and execute. Like his grittiness was on a, on an epic level. Absolute wow. epic. That was a great explanation. Like, like I felt that. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely felt that. And I, I think- You'd see him make shots. You're like, yeah. oh, holy shit yeah like under this these circumstances he somehow only under those ones right he doesn't even want to perform at another one right he'll just rather be hanging out but if it's for the game yeah i see yeah so then Mm. were you sponsored at this point when you were on tour i was yeah so so that 05 was when i met climo yeah and then 2006 i graduated in 2005 from high school okay and then 2006 i went on the road so i was sponsored by discraft from uh halloween of 2003 Mm -hmm. shout out to keith murray for getting me my sponsorship with with Discraft. That was when he was working for the company. Mm-hmm. You had equipment. Yep, had equipment. You know, I think I was probably throwing uh, the Predator and the HD Hawk. Actually, yes. Actually, funny enough, I was throwing like the Storm. Yes, that disc is incredible. Right, I, yeah. I was throwing MRVs. Mm-hmm. They had a great lineup back then. Yeah, this was right after when the Buzz came out, like 2004. And you know, yeah. when the Buzz came out, I immediately... You know, I won some tournaments right away. Absolutely. You know, I was throwing that 430 feet. Wow. I was just crushing that disc when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, a few of the older school guys didn't like that because I had of all of a sudden I had grown up into some power. Yeah. And then I was starting to learn how to control it a little bit. And you were, mm. yeah, you were still growing physically. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I, yeah, I could throw like 70 more feet in wow. like five months. And all of a sudden courses got a little bit easier. Wow. Yeah. So I went on tour in 06. That was... The first real tour I went on, I yeah. think it was a 16 weeker. I took the train out to Chicago and or uh, Minnesota. Started at the Minnesota Majestic. Were you by yourself? Oh, I was with Matty O. Right on. Yeah, me and Matt. And then yeah, that was right when kind of Kale was coming up. So mm-hmm. we were hanging out with Kale and Ross Brandt. And wow, yeah, Ross Brandt! Oh yeah, my God, the homies Riley yeah. and yeah, all the all the cool guys up in Minnesota. Um, but we played that one and. 
you know, went down to the Quad Cities and played Des Moines for the first time. And, you know, Pickard and Walnut. Pickard. Yeah. All those awesome courses. Yeah. It was like really, really cool. Actually, that wasn't the first time I played in Des Moines. That was 2004 Worlds. I, I retract that mm-hmm. statement, but I went back to Des Moines. And um, so we went from Beaver State. Then we took the train over to Minnesota Majestic. Deglo, um, Kale and I tied for first. He got me in the playoff on hole one. At Deglo? Yeah, Deglo. That's awesome. Um, that was a good one. And then did High Plains Challenge. Colorado. Yep. Then came back home, King of Lake, Tahoe Pro-Am. Shoals Bicycle Center, Pittsburgh Flying Disc Open. Got fourth there. Avery Jenkins, Kyle Crabtree, and Mike Moser got me at that one. Got fourth at the Brent Hambrick. Talk um, to me about, you're a young kid. You're like, what, 18 years old at that point, 19? Eight, yeah, yeah, I was 19, I believe. You graduated high school, you're not going to college, and you're just living the disc golf life. What What yeah. was that f- initial feeling for you? Was it just like exactly what you thought it would be? or At that point, yeah. That I mean, first year? There was nothing really else out there, right? There was probably 10, 12 players on tour. Mm-hmm. You know, Felberg, Shaq, Avery. Um, Crabtree would come in and out. Um maybe juliana yeah you were like one of like 15 players yeah. in the world that were doing this it's not like, not many and we were the youngsters me and mattio yeah. we were the young guys on it so how was burl that? val oh yeah i forgot burl about burl and val. and val one of my first tours was the uh team spirit tour on in burl's rv it was it was burl val avery myself mattio marcus shallstrom all in the same yeah. rv yeah oh my god it was lit oh and uh and steve and leslie Brinster. All in the same one? Yeah. How big was the RV? It wasn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, we'd all get out and like camp and stuff. Um, that was super fun though. That was wow. when that's when Brinster and uh, both the Brinsters, they were on the Sparks Live when Sparks was like a thing. What is that? It was like an alcoholic energy drink. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It would be like, what are those? What, Four Locos? Except like oh, less boy. nasty. It was like better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Four Locos not. <laughs> they were about that life. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And that's the other funny thing is like, <laughs> like there was such a more laid back vibe to like professional disc golf back then, man. Like mm. no one was like, oh, I have to wake up and do my, you know, my reps on the bench press and I have to go run and I have to like change my diet. And it seems like it was so much more laid back back then. Yeah. Well, you had like guys like Climo, he never toured. You know, Kenny never was on tour more than like three weeks, maybe a month. Really? Maybe. He always flew back to Florida. And I feel like, you know, having lived through some of those longer tours, right, uh-huh. in like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, that was a yeah. long stretch of like continuous golfing. And, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of start to lose sight sometimes of what you're doing and where you want to go and, mm-hmm. and what your real like goals, what are your like core value and goals, right? And it can, touring can really take it out of you. Yeah. So- I think Climo did well in that regard because he never toured for that long. He always got to go back home and relax. Because he had the money to go do that. He could go home and like regain himself and get ready for his next set of events. Exactly. And, yeah. And he was just in Florida, so he was chilling like all right. winter. And, Playing golf anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I See, I thought he was on the road full time. Never. I, really? Right. Very, very rarely wow. ever. I'd be interested to see like – yeah, how long of a stretch he did. I've never tr- I've never really asked him, but um I can't imagine it was more than 8 weeks. Really? No. So n- nothing compared to what people are doing nowadays. No way. No way. 
That is so y'all were just holding it down for the rest of us. You just yeah. like, blazing the trail for the rest of us and a lot of the guys did it before we did too, right? Yeah. Like, you know, Brad Hammock, he was on the road and I mean there were there were guys that were out there doing it. I mean, Felberg and Avery, you know, they they definitely put in their years and there were guys that did it a little harder at that time. Maybe not in the last like four or five years. I think Philo and I have gone harder than anybody, but yeah, you guys have been on the road for forever. Yeah. It's nuts. It, like, it's truly nuts yeah, that like you guys are still doing it. We've had some insane runs. Like we had the one one run in Europe. It was like 37 days and like 34 of them were either like tournament or clinic days. Like the other three were like travel days. Oh my God. I was just exhausted. You get so tired and then the next promoter's like, what are we doing today, boys? <laughs> You're like, okay. Uh, trying to sleep. What are you talking about? He's like, we have course to play at... at uh, 1 p.m. You're like, sure. American time, 1300. <laughs> you're like, okay. So, I mean, that's, you're living this like super like stripped down, like what people probably envisioned tour life to be was like the, the yeah. gritty, like you had mentioned, like that dig deep. You got to be happy with what you have kind of touring. Totally. And a good payout back then was maybe like, you know, 400 plus. Yeah. You got over 400. And now, obviously, inflation or whatever. But I mm-hmm. think nowadays the tour minimum for me is typically six to six fifty. Yeah. To like stay on the road, pay for your next event, each tournament. Yeah. You know, pay for your food. Mm-hmm. Like if you need lodging. Luckily, I mean, I bought a van a couple of years ago. Yeah. A lot of the players like yourself have a van. It's just so much cheaper. Yeah. In the long run, it's cheaper overall. Yeah. And it's easier, right? You don't have to like migrate as much. Yeah. And, yeah. That's something that I've been very interested in. Is is like, were people just super scrapping for cash back then? Like, were there there's some you know, people that you were rolling with that were really, really struggling. Yeah, I mean, there were there What's were that folks. Like? There were folks that were like picking up side jobs in the town that we were at to play the tournament, like going and out and roofing. Yeah, that <laughs> week to make like three hundred bucks. Really? So they, yeah, for sure. Like I remember Tank. I think pretty sure Tank did that. And I mean, like, yeah, multiple times, like Roadhouse. Eric Just Roadhouse gotta get it done. That. Yeah, yeah. You have to. Like, you have to stay on the road. And, and like, we'd go to the league, right? You know, you'd find. At that point, we, you roll into town, find out where the league is, go out to the league, meet some of the locals, ask if anybody had work, you know, or somebody's somebody's friend had work, you know, to do for a couple mm-hmm. days. And, you know, got to stay on the road if you want to, right? Yeah. You need money to do it. You know, if you had a rough tournament or two, you know, all of a sudden things start, you know, your bag's running empty a little bit. Yeah. You know, you got to fill up the bag a little bit mm-hmm. and make sure you stay on the road. And, wow. You know, you can eat decent <laughs> and be ready to play your next one. What was eating good for you back then when you were like on tour oh, early on? I can't even remember. Were you uh, were you ever going out and getting steaks? No. What was what was eating good for you? No. Eating good would be like you come to a place and there was a guy that like invited you into his home and mm-hmm. fed you for a couple nights. Yeah. You know, like Take just a shower. any home food, any home cooked food. That mm-hmm. was like my favorite thing. And I've been really fortunate in that. I think I've been more fortunate than most mm-hmm. in the sport to have met great people and mm-hmm. you know, it sounds cliché but Mm-mm. like <laughs> You know, you meet certain people along the way and, you know, if you treat them right, they'll they'll take care of you in, in whatever regard that they can, yeah. you know. So I'm kind of living proof of that where, where I transgressed from that early tour life to like nowadays where mm-hmm. I host my own series and I get to go out into some of the towns and see the people that I've known for, you know, yeah. 10 plus years and, you know, get to reminisce on some good times and Absolutely. talk about what's coming up and it's crazy. That was that was good food. I mean, I ate a. I'm sure I ate so many McNuggets. It was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, just wanted to you know maybe fast forward through these years. You know, just a little bit. Like 
you know, you started touring, obviously it's, you're a young kid, you're full of energy, mm. full of- As Cam Todd would say, I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what you were, you know, and you're, you're moving through this, you know, dream, you know, this journey that you're living is the dream, you know, yeah. you, you did it. Like That's the, that's like the goal, right? You, yeah, and the goal changes as you go along, right? Like I, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a touring disc golfer and want to be one of the best. Yeah. You know, once I became what I felt like was one of the best. Now I've, I've been criminally underrated for many years. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of got the short stick of the world ranking. Yeah. You know, I'd play really good at a bunch of events and then blow it at the world. Yeah. You know, or like blow it at this tournament and then I'd have, I'd be like 15th in the world, you know, where I really felt like I was about sixth or seventh. But, yeah. you know, the one tournament, they didn't count the other eight. They counted the one. I know the world rankings have always been like so strange. Like, yeah. like you said, criminally underrating certain players. Yeah. You know? I've felt like they've always dogged me out for years. <laughs> like, <laughs> you hear that PDGA? Yeah. I mean, hey, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. So look out. I mean, <laughs> you just like, you, but you keep moving through and like, obviously you're still here, but yeah. were there ever times, I mean, the years from 18 to mid twenties, even maybe early twenties, yeah. that's a pretty defining, you know, time frame for yeah. a, a kid's life. And did you ever creep up into like your twenties, early twenties and start thinking like, man, I don't know if I'm cut out for this anymore. I shouldn't do this anymore. Like, did you ever just get like, I guess we'll use the word criminally, uh, criminally burnt out? Did you oh, just yeah. get like super burnt out ever? What, what is that like? I've burned out eight times on disc golf. Eight times I've burned out. And you, you've counted all of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Sometimes you burn out, you know. Talk to me about the worst one. Oh. Uh, one of them. 2015, I was ranked third in the world, hyperextended my elbow in Europe. And tried to play through the next three majors, which were all within a month. And was that like the first year going to Europe? No, I'd Second. gone in 2014. Okay. Yeah. I was actually kind of late to the party in Europe, but, you know, I was interested to see how the Europeans would take me because I'm fairly American. <laughs> You're but, definitely not finished, that's yeah. for sure. I mean, look, I'm a Californian through yeah. and through, but now I'm a Texan. So yeah, I wasn't sure how they'd take me. But yeah, 2015, I was playing really well unsponsored at the time, just kind of doing my own thing. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Ranked, yeah, I was ranked third in the world, hyperextended my elbow, tried to play through it for the next like month and a half, and then had to drop out of Worlds, and that really sucked, and I didn't throw a disc for eight months, and that was kind Probably of- the first time ever. Yeah, that was the longest I hadn't thrown a disc since I started. That was a real introspective point in my life where I kind of had to like take a step back and understand that all the work that I had already put in meant nothing. And um, now I really had to make a decision on if I wanted to go maybe to trade school because I always loved to weld. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, man, I, you know, I could go back and I can Here weld goes. and get a good job, you know, and, and build a life or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then obviously I picked the disc back up and mm-hmm. grinded through 2016. That was a real tough year. 2017 was a, a tough start to the year as well. And then when I went to Europe in 2017... I played real well at the European Open and that kind of that kind of juiced my spirit even though I lost on the last hole. Yeah. I knew I had what it takes. I can I can beat anybody at this mm-hmm. if I'm playing well and I've got it in the tank. So that was kind of when when that happened, um, I kind of had to bury my heart at mm-hmm. that point. I'm like, no more feelings. Yeah. This is what you do. No this- more feelings. I can't care anymore. Yeah. So yeah, whatever. Fast forward eight months, and then I won Worlds. That's incredible. Yeah, something like that. Dude. Where I think I was probably like a 20 to 1 on the odds to win Worlds. But I gave myself Whoa. that chance. 
you know, and that was, I think, the big difference. Because a lot of times, and to all your listeners out mm-hmm. there, that you know, like you got to give yourself a chance. That's it. Like if you don't give yourself the chance, mm-hmm. you're never gonna get it. You've got to be the number one mm-hmm. biggest cheerleader for yourself. Exactly. You know, like you've got to be able to say, "I can do it." Mm-hmm. Or, or if you say you can't do it, then be man enough to lay it down, or or you know, you have to try. Be be woman enough to lay it down. Yeah. And understand what your capabilities are, and you know. How good can you play? Yeah. And then what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. What's the best that can happen? And then what's that middle ground you're okay with living with? <laughs> exactly. You have to accept a lot. <laughs> yeah. You have to accept a lot. Totally. Yeah. You know, and I, I actually wanted, I will back up and then I would love to fast forward to like these Europe years and the worlds in sure. 2018. But yeah. funny story, you will not probably remember. Okay. 2013 worlds at Lemon Lake. Mm. You were promoting a company. Deity Discs. Deity Discs. Yeah. And I actually of, designed their disc. Yeah. A lot of new players probably don't know this. Mm-mm. I want you to first talk to me about that project in okay. 2013. And then I have a very funny interaction that you and I had in a 2013 world. Okay. Like, I might go. not remember. I think we played together at that. Did we, we play did together? play we together. Played around. I shot really hot the first round. And I think me and you might have played second round. But, but even funnier story. Okay. So the deity thing, that all started with uh, a friend of mine, Makunda. Makunda was dating this this lady out of out of the Twin Cities. Uh-huh. Her name's Talia Taylor, niece of Glenn Taylor, owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And uh, Oh wow. Yeah. Billions with a B. Right. <laughs> big B billions. Yeah. It's a lot of money there. He apparently was a big investor in three M in the very beginning. So we were having our stuff made uh, the plastic source from 3M. Mm-hmm. So it was super high quality. You know, we had done a ton of, you know, research on like, you know, the original champion edition, some of the best plastic on the planet. And we developed two lines, Delta 40 and then the Alpha 55. And um, we came out with our first disc, the Chimera. What a cool like project to start on. Yeah, it was sweet. I mean, obviously it's aerodynamics. You know, you can't yeah. really reinvent the wheel. You know, a triangle mm-hmm. doesn't fly like a circle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? So yeah. uh, we, I base it right around the Wraith. Mm-hmm. You know, Makunda and I co-designed it. Something that every hand could grab, wasn't too big of a rim, mm-hmm. wasn't super small. Pros either. can throw it, newer players can throw it. Right. So um, what we came out with with those two plastics, and then funny enough, my sponsor now, Innova, Mm-hmm. who I wasn't sponsored by then, they came out with this new plastic called G-Star about three months later, mm-hmm. and they made their only spiritually themed disc three months later as well. Interesting. Called the Daedalus. I wonder where that came from. Inter- <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, so that was how that all happened, and then unfortunately, Makanda and Talia split um, when I was ah. doing the street team, so they didn't see it fit to continue to do business, so wow. it just kind of, you know, just kind of went poof. Oh my god! So that was a bummer. So I was unsponsored for maybe close to a year, uh-huh. something like that, and then Innova just kept ringing my door because you uh, because you thought Deity was going to pop off, and you being sure. someone who knows how to throw a disc gets to design discs. What a dream come true yeah, for yeah, someone totally. on the road for so long. Yeah, and I mean their pockets were deep enough. They were they were hooking me up with a stipend check with without even a product. You thought it was just a shoe-in. Like you were going, you had the backing. Yeah. You I had, had already done the street wow. team. We had like 40 plus heads. So I kind of took the hit in public. I think I took that on the chin. Yeah. That sucked because there was like no information on what actually mm-hmm. happened. So I kind of had to eat the And that the was crap. when social media was a thing. So people were right. talking about it. I remember. Right. So that was a bummer. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that was 2013, 14, era, yeah. something like that. You were demoing these discs in 2013. That's right. And yeah, right there at Lemon Lake. Yeah. yeah and I, I walked up 
and back then I smushed the disc. Me and Double G tied. You threw that thing really far. Was it you that like blasted one into? Do you remember? I do. Yes. Oh my god. Yes, I do remember that. (laughs) You you literally shaped the rest of my disc golf life with this one snotty ass comment you made at me. Nice. And it was it was amazing. You probably needed it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because, dude, I'm telling you, I was smushing the disc. I tied double G. I lost to, to Wiggins by six feet at distance. That's crazy. Yeah, dude. I was smoking the disc. That's no incredible. 360 or anything. That's nuts. But my game was power backhand and then just as hard as I can. You've seen my sidearm now. Yeah. It's a lot more finesse than Smoothie. it used to be. Chop hard flex as hard as I can sidearm. Okay. I'd get dead arm after every tournament. I was just power guy. Right. Nothing. <laughs> and I take whatever whatever prototype you gave me that was it was wicked overstable. Like it was like Yeah. You it was like a thicker, like eleven speed that or was, something. That was the beefier of the three, I think. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I walked up and I was like, oh, it's great bars. But I, I didn't want to acknowledge that I knew you that well, you know. Okay. I was like, oh, what's this? <laughs> and you're like, oh, you know, you want to try this? And I was like, Yeah, I'll try it. And I smashed it. Like, you remember, I threw it pretty far. Yeah, I, I yanked this thing on, like, vertical roller Anheuser, and it flexed out because it's overstable. <laughs> I turned around, and, and for some reason, the back of my head, I think I was, like, 20 or 21, and <laughs> I thought that everyone was going to be like, oh, my God, you're so sick. And no one cares. Like, no one cares. Like, everyone throws far, you know? Yeah, right, nowadays. And, and you, you looked at me, and you go, with this, you know, this very, like, laid-back voice, you're like, how long have you been playing? And I was like... Nine years? Like, I thought I was so cool playing nine years, you know? And you're like, you'll get over that power phase soon. <laughs> nice. I got in the car, and the person I was traveling with was like, what What happened? Why are you so pissed off? And I'm like, I don't know who this guy thinks he is telling me that I can't throw accurate. I can throw accurate. And they're like, Brian, your straightest disc is a drone. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, well. Dude, still went straight. A year, a year later, and I, I made the cash at that. I made the at that world. Yeah, and um, that's awesome. I'm, that glad, I'm summer, glad I said that to you, dude. Your game is is a lot more smooth thank you. now. I, yeah, and it's more fun. It's yeah. way more fun to throw smooth. But it's so funny. I learned how to throw a buzz because of you. Because I, Legit. in the back of my head, I was like. God, this guy was so right. I can't even throw a buzz right. straight. I, it hurts when someone's that right. Like, it's painful. Yeah. Where you're like, I know. <laughs> I yeah. Like, I'm going to go up and I'm going to smash this disc and Barsby's going to sponsor me and my, my whole life's going to change. My, the back of my, my kid brain was like, this is it. This is my future right here. And you were like. You'll get over that. Just throw a buzz, kid. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, okay. This episode of The Flight Diary is brought to you by Wander Disc Golf, a brand that's bred from passion for the sport and all of the beautiful places it can take us. Wander has a wide variety of thoughtful apparel rooted in disc golf and an advocacy for mental health. Find them at at WanderDiscGolf on Instagram and shop at WanderDiscGolf.com. I do want to fast forward to kind of some of the end, like, sure. you know, achievements. Where we are now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How we've gotten here. Like, I first want you to talk about, I mean, obviously your career's progressed and you've gotten to go to Europe. Mm-hmm. You've gotten to experience that. And luckily I did in 2019 as well because yeah. I just had to do it. Yes. Give, smart. Super smart. You. It's yeah. amazing. It's absolutely incredible. And I, it changed my life. Well, it? for sure. It just gives you a different perspective, especially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is funny. I had a guy who was like, well, would you rather win the U.S. Open or the World Championship? Mm-hmm. 
And I told myself, well, you know, most people think that the world's bigger than the United States. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I realized I came off like a total dick. Yeah. But it's true, right? When you get to go out of the country, mm-hmm. it just gives you a different fresh air perspective mm-hmm. on like what's going on just from where we are. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice and again, refreshing. I mean, you go over there and you experience the crowds and you experience the courses and you experience the professionalism of, of, of European disc golf. And yeah, they love you over there. They love you in Europe. Nice. I've watched it. I've nice. Wa- yeah, I've watched it firsthand. But like, have you taken anything specifically away from playing in Finland and, and you know, interacting with those cultures? Yeah, well, it just makes me appreciate where I came from and, yeah. and, the, and the old school nature of, of why I still do this, right? I still do it for the love of it. Yeah. Obviously, you know, there's certain times where it feels like a job or you're exhausted and you don't really want to go and yeah. either do clinics or something. But I realize that there's like a bigger... It's a, it's the bigger picture, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, it's on, it's on me. It's been bestowed on me to mm-hmm. like give some of this knowledge and all these golden nuggets that yeah. I found when I was a kid and be able to pass them on to a culture that had, has nobody exactly. like the people that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. There's not one person in Finland that can explain disc golf, like the five, six guys back in Grass Valley. Exactly. They just can't. Yeah. They don't, they don't know how the Frisbees flew. They don't understand the flight paths. Mm-hmm. Their courses are completely built different. Their, their courses are built for like T-birds and up. Mm-hmm. Whereas... NorCal is built on like stingrays and, you know, rocks and all those kind of things. Yeah, old exactly. cobras and, you know, tr- uh, tracers. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And eclipses yeah, yeah. and just like all this old school stuff. So, you know, taking some of those fundamentals, not only that I learned from those guys, mm-hmm. but that I still learn from the other dudes too, like on the road, that I get to give this to young, you know, you know, uh, Miko Hakalainen or, yeah. you know, or, all those young kids, they're shredding. Yeah. There's so many good ones. There's like, there's a couple kids that have come out to our high energies. Me and Philo's high energy. They've come out like three times. And then the next year we're like battling him. I'm like, yeah, we taught him too much. <laughs> We've taught all of them too he's much. He's too good. Yeah. Yeah. They're like really good. Uh, what's his name? Ante Kotalainen. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of really, really good players. There's so many there. amazing young kids there that are training hard. And when Super everything hard. opens up again, the travel opens up again, it's going to be yeah. amazing because yeah. of what you guys have been able to. Part, cult- partly. Well, I mean, obviously their culture works hard and they love they do. what they do. It's really cool to go over there and like not only meet them and, and get the sauna and, mm-hmm. you know, all the fun stuff, but they got a cool culture. Yeah. You know, as does like Estonia, right? I mean, I was in Estonia this last year and the guy's like, Oh yeah, you know the Russian times in 1990 and before. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? Yeah, you know they just literally got their sovereignty in 1991. Yeah, did you go to Alataguze? I did not. Super sweet, but yeah, you're like 30 miles from Russia. Whoa, I have a little plate from from the town of Hiovi. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, really? Right there, we we did a little course opening, and I met the mayor. You've been all over, man. You know, it was like super super cool. But I'm like, wow, these are like Russian block. This is like gnarly. Like, yeah, it's such an amazing experience, and any any disc golfer should go see it. Like. Any disc golfer should go see it if they have the money and the opportunity to be able to do that. Yeah. To any of your any of your fans or your yeah. listeners, go to Finland if you get the chance. Fly to Helsinki. I mean, you've got probably 60 courses within, you mm-hmm. know. Try to do your best to get up to the central part of the country, like um, Evascula. You know, there's so many sweet courses there. Um, Petty Evasi. They have like 800 Ham- courses or something? Hamelina. I mean, there's so many nice. And, and, you know, everyone's got their own club and they're like all about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so tight. You know, the culture there is real strong, so I can't wait to go back. Me too. Eventually, I don't know what's going to happen this year. I really actually don't know. Hopefully, I'll be able to go. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I want to finish this up. I want to just go through one last. I want you to tell me, because I've actually never even gotten to talk to you about this, 
I mean, obviously, 2018, you won the world championships, and you won it at one of the coolest tracks in the states. I you, did, yeah. You, it's like one of the best. And and, and like uh, best. Nathan Queen, I think, told me. I I told him that I was I was talking to th- with you this week, and he's like. Well, tell him, man, to remind him. He's oh, how I stayed on their floor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he didn't even have a place to stay when he got into town. That's right. Well, technically, no, I did. Okay, so here's what happened. I stayed with the New Zealand cats. And this was this was one of the coolest parts about this world, right? Yeah. Because I stayed with a few different crews, right? And this was after that gnarly Europe tour I was telling you about uh-huh. with Philo. We had flown back to Ledgestone. I rode with Philo over to uh, Maple Hill. Mm-hmm. And then after Maple Hill, I rented a car. Just because I wanted to be on my own time and meet and file, and I've been traveling together for six months. He's tired of smelling my ass. <laughs> so I went up there. First person I saw, I want you to guess who's the first person I saw when I got there. When you got to Vermont? Yeah. And I pulled up to the course. Nathan Pull, Queen? Pulled up the Fox Run. Next guess. Ne- my next guess? Oh, crap. All, all the players? All the players in the world. Who would I run into first? Josh Anthon. Really? First guy. And so I'm out there happened? chucking my putters and whatever, just kind of like getting out of the car because it's like a four or five hour drive from, mm-hmm. from Mass. And Josh is so funny. I mean, I've known Josh since I was like 13. Yeah. And he's like playing the loop on Fox, right? He's like, well, yeah, dude, I just got to end up throwing your putter there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you going to sit over here throw your putter, dog, or you going you gonna to come play some golf? I'm like, well, I don't know. I was thinking about throwing my putter. He's like, come on, dog. So we went and played the loop. Inevitably, 15 mm-hmm. days later, we played the same loop for the championship. That's so nuts. Right. I've played with him before. He's and so funny. You're either gambling with him or you're not <laughs> playing with him. Right. You either aren't, you're not at the table or you have your money and you're 60 bucks for this throw in. You're like, yeah. what? No, I, <laughs> I'm not going to throw it in. Gosh, I, actually, I got to go. I got a car to sell, dog. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. I heard some weird story, quick tangent before we finish this up. <laughs> I heard he was playing the Motherload one year and NorCal Championships. Yeah, yes. And I heard he was winning A tier. He dipped out. To sell a car. Yeah, to go sell a car. Because he knew like, he would make more money. Like eight holes to go. He's like, I, I got to go, dog. I was on his card. He's like, if I ace this one, I'll play another one. He missed it by like four feet to the left. He's like, yeah, got to go. To go sell a car and make more money. And he's like on the phone. He's like, yeah, I'll be there in 45 minutes, dog. And I'm like, Josh, it's an hour and 15 minute drive down to Rio. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, Josh. How's that? That's like, like a good time. That's like another. We could almost do like a whole another episode on you just talking about Anthon stories Josh. because he's a he's another. Josh has crushed me. I'm at like a non-sanctioned tournament. Josh yeah. is there. I'm like, get out of here. I need <laughs> gas, dude. I need gas. And he's just selling cars all while right. he's playing. Yeah, and he's just like beats me by twelve. Yeah. Just beats the snot out of you, makes every putt. Oh my God, what a world's man. <laughs> yeah. And what an amazing place to have it at Smuggler's Notch. A perfect mix of all the best parts of disc golf. There's the OB, yeah. there's the distance, there's the woods, there's the uphill, there's the downhill. The control. There's the, the shaping, power. the landing. Yeah. And the special place. And you had said you had just gotten over kind of a burnout. You had said 2017, right? Yeah. That was when I finally kind of like you know, reinvigorated, right? Yeah. Kind of relit the fire deeper though. Mm-hmm. Like there was a deeper burning. Uh, deeper purpose. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it was just like, it was like there was just a flame under me. That's awesome. There's just no other way to put it. I'm like, dude, I'm not going out like that. And the, and you felt that that week? Oh yeah, for sure. So like- I was playing good coming in. Like I had a decent ledgestone and I remember I, I nearly chipped in back to back at uh, Maple Hill. I went, I chained in for the Eagle there on 17 and then chained out for the Eagle on 18. And I was like, whoa, I'm like, all right, I'm playing good. 
I'm ready you know, to go. I'm playing good. I just got to like stick to the game plan, right? Like set a good game plan, figure out which disc I'm going to throw, really focus on the shots, right? Like focus on my physical and, you know, the rest should take care of itself. Just kind of get yourself in the game. Yeah. Right? Don't shoot yourself in the foot early. That mm-hmm. was my big thing because Worlds has been a constant. I mean, I don't even know what's the word. I mean, it's just been my, it's been my kryptonite, you know? Yeah. I'm coming in playing hot. I mean, my next best finish at Worlds was 10th. Oh, so not even like a top five ever. No. And you just stayed steady all week. And there were some shooters out there. And those courses, I mean, it's it's not you, guaranteed for anybody. You can fire it up out there and then, you know, a couple mistakes in the wrong place, you can run up double bogeys. That was my big thing. I didn't double bogey any holes at Worlds. The whole tournament? I had six bogeys. Wow. Yeah. Those courses are not easy to do that. It's on. so easy to run up a double on Fox. Yeah. Yeah. And Brewster, you hit early, like yeah. one time, you miss one gap. Yeah. And then, I mean, yeah, you finished that final round. And like you said, like, here you go. Josh Anthon, like, weasels his way on the card. I mean, Josh Yuli's is just on there. Josh is a putting monster, though. You know, like, he's such hole a one. putting machine. Right. Now, if Conrad had made that putt on hole one, mm-hmm. I think I would have maybe thought something different. Mm-hmm. When Josh made it, it was like nothing. Yeah. To me. You were like, I, I knew he was going to make that. Josh will make that. Yeah. And he's been in the, in the hunt for a world championship as well. Many times. And Yuli has, has been chasing it down for so long. What what an amazing finishing card to like oh, it was pretty nuts. finish the event. What was going through your head that final round? Could, can you even describe? Was it nothing? You know, I was obviously nervy to start. Josh made the putt on one. I remember I got like the the phone razz on two. I missed a putt. I was like superheated and I missed three again. The whole three, which you would think is a hole that I would crush. I think oh. I shot even on it. And then I birdied four. I remember I made like a 30-footer on hole four. And that was like, like all right. You know, like, okay. All right, all right, you're alive. We're alive. We exactly. got a heartbeat. Let's go. Birdied hole five at Fox. So hard. Got it every round. Did you really? Got it every right side? round. Right side, Thunderbird, low. Wow. Hammered it into the hill. And then um, and then Josh made the mistake on six. Mm-hmm. And uh, I put it under the basket, 4-2, went back up a stroke, took an OB, and that's when Macbeth, like, you know. Started okay, charging. Well, you know, he was in the game at that point. Um, Matty O made a charge, too. Matty O was charging. I knew that. Macbeth was, oh, what was it? He was at some number. Maybe it was like 37 or something, 38 at hole 14. So I knew as long as I got to like 36 by hole 10. You're already thinking about numbers. Yeah, yeah. I was already like, you know. And then when I got there, I told my caddy, Nick, I'm like, look, dude, best back nine of my life. It's mm-hmm. for the title right now. Let's go. Yeah. And then I birdied 10 and then I made the huge putt on 11, the monster. I remember, I remember yeah. that one. That was insane. That's when, that's when I think the other card knew whose yell that was. That mm-hmm. wasn't like a roar for Yuli or Josh or James. I think everybody knew. Like I just kind of sucked out the energy of the course. Exactly. Real quick. And then um, watching Macbeth's uh, chase card round, he mm-hmm. like missed two putts right around that time. I just literally sucked the energy out of the building, which was nuts. Wow. You know, and then rang it off the front from 100 plus the next hole. I mean, I'm just like, I'm just teething at this point. I'm like, oh, you know, You're just frothing at the mouth. Exactly. I'm like, ah, it's time to finish this thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Got to, we got to 15 and Macbeth had carted in mm-hmm. at 39 after the mess up. And then Matteo had fell, fallen and I was sitting at 39. And that's when things kind of went. You finally felt it. And slowed down where I was like, okay, now is where I just got to suppress the pressure. Mm-hmm. Let's just put some shots on goal. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't hard. Mm-hmm. This isn't difficult. The only thing that's going to make it difficult is if you make it difficult. Exactly. So I just try to make it easy on myself. 
pinned 15, got to 40, got the par on, I missed the putt on 16, but I got the par and then birdied 17. Josh had the unfortunate roll, roll away. away. I mean, you hit the slope with Heiser. It's like, you know, you hit 50, 50. It's a 50, 50 yeah. roll. I think that was a 90, 10 roll. He got pinned. So? Yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine is, uh, I would say mine's probably more like an 80% stick. I was throwing that nice and high, mm-hmm. digging it. Was that an ground. eagle you threw? Firebird. Okay. Firebird. Pre-flight Firebird. I see. Yeah. Let that gravity do the work. Exactly. If you throw it on that angle, and, and, and I feel like Josh, pace. I feel like Josh threw it a little too low. Mm-hmm. Threw the perfect shot. Mm-hmm. It would never change it in a million years, but he just caught that one out of ten yeah, roll. Exactly. And that was like, I guess that was it, right? I was still pretty nervous on eighteen, but once of that course. landed in bounds, you know, I was like, okay, because you know, as long as you don't miss to the right on eighteen, yeah. Fox, just miss left, just whatever. Yeah. But I didn't play the dummy over stable. Mm-hmm. I played the less overstable uh-huh. from the dummy one that way because i was like all right i'm hammered on hyzer yeah it'll hook up i'm not gonna flip this one but it's gonna hyzer but i don't want it to hyzer so much that i'm guaranteed exactly. to go ob and, and if you screw up it might bomb it might just go forever right yeah yeah so and then when that one stuck Dude. that's when i was like okay yep didn't you were, weren't you like a like five feet from out of bounds on, on the left side and you stuck it <sighs> for really close dude it was like the stars were aligning for you at that point that's so it was uh, so yeah. amazing it was like, epic i've never seen more people jump in the air on that video i've watched the video i think four or five times I've, yeah it was amazing <laughs> i haven't watched the video that much i try yeah. to i try to avoid it so obviously <laughs> i sat and watched it with my parents and a couple other people my sister when i was out in maui but um Seeing people jump for joy was like one of the most epic and satisfying feelings I've ever had. I was like, dude, I got people to jump for joy with me throwing frisbee. <laughs> like that's you tight. did it. Everything came full circle finally. <laughs> it was cool. It was a you cool were a young one, kid sure. throwing frisbees at Condon Park, yep. and then all of a sudden you have the world jumping for joy. Right. I mean, you, you know. ended the streak. You knew you had Ricky and Paul that won like every world title from yeah. like you know 2012 all the way. Right. Was it all the way up until that point? Yeah, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, 17 were Rick. Yeah. And then 18. Yeah, so, so yeah. I mean, you ended, like, what people thought was the dystopia of the sport, you right. know? And they were like, oh, crap, they're going to win for the next, like, 20 years. got to respect the Wiley guys, you know? You got to respect mm-hmm. somebody that's going to go and put a shot on goal. <laughs> that's you right. You know what I mean? That's right, man. Uh, you got to love it, you know? And and uh, I got to give a shout-out to all the all the Barsbarians, all yeah. the Bars of the Empire, you know? They really they really lined me in for that one. Hell yeah, and man. It was just too much energy, I think. I think there was just too much energy going forward. Couldn't and, stop it. And, and, and I mean, post-Worlds, obviously, you know, your life, I mean, you're living this very similar life, but now we're sitting in a beautiful home that you've, you know, you've yeah. bought and, you know, yeah. a lot of Psyched. a lot of other things are starting to come into place that I feel like after all these years, 15 years in the road, like, you know, and, and not just playing for yourself anymore, you're, you're a professional athlete in a world where you affect people, you know? Yeah, it's crazy, you yeah. know? Like, I, ultimately, I just want to leave a... a a positive lasting impression with people, you know, and it all, it's subjective, right? Like where you came from will dictate how you perceive things, Mm -hmm. you know, and what you've gone through and whatever. So I think that's ultimately my goal is to leave a positive impression on the sport. And, and sometimes, you know, like I learned early in life, you know, tough love is some of the best love sometimes, you know, it's not always easy. Yeah. You know, it's not always hunky dory and everything's all good, right? Like people go through ups and downs, you know, if, if, you need to be there for your people when they're down as much as you do when they're up, Yeah, you know, and I've, I've learned some of that, you know, and some of those lessons after winning worlds and seeing some people crawl out from mm-hmm. the cracks and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it gives me a better perspective and understanding of, of how the world works. And yeah, obviously, you know, got a, got a new house, just bought a new house three months ago, which is awesome. sweet.
The Flight Diary is edited by Lindsay Rodans, music by Johnny Darge. The Texas swing of the tour is finally over, and I will be flying up to Chicago this weekend for a close friend's wedding. With that said, I'll be back on tour at Jonesboro. The next episode that we have coming out in a couple of weeks will be a new type of episode, so we will catch you then. Thank you for listening. Thank you.